Ask the Podcast Coach for June 18th, 2022. Let's get ready to podcast. There it is. It's that music that means, hey, it's Saturday morning. It's time for Ask the Podcast Coach, where you get your podcast questions answered live. I'm your host, Dave Jackson, from the School of Podcasting.com. And my typical co-host, Jim Collison, is not here today. We wish him well. He is attending a celebration of life for his mother who passed away recently. But I am very excited to have uh, our fill-in co-host today. And you're like, Dave, who is it? Well, let me tell you about him. Uh, he, you can find him at thepodcastconsultant.com. If you need podcast consulting, if you're launching a show, if you need audio production, video production, if you need a podcast audit, you know I love audits. And I'm always saying, look, find somebody who's not related to you. And if you're not related to Matthew Passy, you need to go check him out. He also does remote recording. So if you're like, I don't know anything about this Squadcast stuff, he can definitely help you with that. He's uh, involved with CausePods, which is a fun word to say because you have to think about it. We'll talk to him about that. And then uh, one of my favorite shows that I love to listen to, Podcast Me Anything, is uh, Matthew, and he has a co-host who they bring up, uh, they want to go above the 101 stuff. So uh, you can find him again at thepodcastconsultant.com. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Matthew Passy. There we go. Good morning. How are you, my friend? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you today? Good. And and also, here's the other thing. Um, the reason I'm excited, I like Matthew Passy. I just do. <laughs> He's a good guy. And uh, I, I see, oh, how do I say this politely? There are, there are some people that I would refer people to, Matthew Passy, uh, David Hooper, Daniel J. Lewis, Ray Ortega, and there are other people that I wouldn't. So Daniel or Daniel Matthew is on my uh, he's he's on the nice list, not the naughty list. So, but uh, Matthew, do you have any kind of beverage that you're drinking this morning? There we 64 go. Sixty-four ounces of water. Sixty-four ounces of water, <laughs> and that awesome water pour in this case is brought to you by our good friend Mark over at Podcast Branding. Co. Now, if you want to look good in any way, whether that's your artwork, your website, a lead magnet, anything, I just uh, was making mugs this week, and um, oh, how do I say this nicely? The person that designed my, uh, the, the, I was working with somebody else, and their logo did not work well on a cup, and I was like, ah, should have gone to Mark, because the great thing about Mark is he will sit down with you one-on-one. He's going to listen to your show. He's going to figure out kind of the vibe of your show so that your artwork or your website or anything else you're working on matches what it is you're trying to do. He's also a podcaster, which is you have no idea what a great plus that is until you work with somebody who goes, so it's a, a radio. Wait, what is it? A podcast? What? That, it's just no fun to uh, work with that person. So I know every time I upload my logo, if you see the School of Podcasting, that's Mark. And that music means I'm out of time to talk about Mark. Go over to podcastbranding.co. And uh, the other person we want to thank is Dan over at Based on a True Story Podcast. You can find him at Based on a True Story Podcast.com. So if you're watching a movie, I'm trying to think of something. Like, I just saw Top Gun. That is not based on a true story, that is entirely fiction. I know. What? Shut your mouth. But uh, <laughs> if you ever watch a uh, any kind of movie and it starts off you you know what i'm talking about it's the black screen the white words come up based 
on a true story. Well, Dan digs into that and finds out how much of it was actually, you know, true, and then how much of it was, uh, uh, what's what's the fun word they always use? It's like this has been enhanced or something like that to, uh, you know, hey, this story was true. It just was kind of boring. So we've enhanced it to uh, to make it more fun. So thanks, guys, for uh, supporting the show. Now we can talk about the joys of live events. So uh, Matthew just came back. This was a first-time thing in, in Jersey. And so as a first-time event, we'll, we'll give them a little bit of uh, slack. But uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so I like the way you say came back as if it was some sort of big travel, like <laughs> airplanes, like 30 minutes up the road from me. Drove up there, hung out, drove back. Uh, no, for a first-time event, they they did a great job. It was an excellent presentation. They did it at a Masonic uh, temple over there in Trenton, New Jersey. Um, good crowd, uh, all things considering. A um, bunch of good speakers. Your colleague Rob Greenlee was there. Uh, one of your other colleagues, Todd Cochran from Blueberry, was over there. Good uh, lawyer talking about trademarks. Christine, I want to say the last name was Benson. Really funny uh, podcaster out of California, the Storyful or Storyworthy podcast. Um, did a panel with uh, a few folks uh, that was really fun. Uh, credit to him. He gave out tickets to kids at uh, TCNJ, Trenton College of New Jersey. Nice. And uh, Trenton High Schoolers came to join and become uh, the future generation of podcasters. And listen, like you said, first-time events are hard. Um, but I, I would say overall, you know, pretty good job. Nice. What is your favorite part of, like, if somebody said, hey, I'm thinking of going to an event, like, what's your advice to to that person? I would say make sure they are going to have sessions that make sense for you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I remember the first few podcast conferences or shows or events that I went to got a little bit of insight, got a little bit of knowledge, but truthfully, a lot of those things I kind of already knew coming from the broadcasting world and having done podcasting for a while at this point, when I go to these conferences or when I choose which conferences to go to, uh, I'm mostly going to catch up with people who I love seeing, you know, folks like yourself, uh, right? I was like the, the hallway sessions are yes. usually my favorite. Uh, but if, you know, you're going there, the one thing I would definitely caution is I remember early on, there was like, oh, I'm going to go to podcast movement just so I can grow my podcast. I'm like, so is your target audience podcasters? Well, no, I, I talked to attorneys and lawyers and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, there's not going to be a lot of those there. You're probably not going to grow your show there. So go for the knowledge, go for the networking, go for the community. But if you're going to grow your show, don't get your hopes up. Yeah, that's it. If you have a choice. So if I'm doing a podcast about, I don't know, uh, dogs, and there is a dog show in town, and there's a podcast show in town, I would recommend going to the dog show because that's where your target audience is unless you're trying to learn more skills and things of that nature, but always go where your, your audience is. That's the, uh, the bonus of that. So, and you're getting a lot of love here in the uh, chat room. Um, we have uh, Matthew Steven says, or Stefan, uh, I just downloaded two of your episodes. So there you Ooh, go. Thank Get, you. Getting some love about that. Um, I still had the private chat up, so I didn't even know there were people commenting. Thank uh, you all. Yeah. Good morning. Uh, what do you think about automatically generated news podcasts? In other words, via artificial voices. It's funny you should say that. Let me, he said, going to his Overcast app. <laughs> um, I, um, Eric Newsom does a really good Substack, uh, you know, newsletter. The problem is I can't listen to it in the car. 
And so I actually use a service to – I copy and paste his newsletter into a thing, and it uh, I listen to it by some voice named Dave. And it's, Is it yours? It's not my voice. I wish it was. <laughs> but, uh, you know, tell me how much you want to listen to this. Let me see. I have no idea what my – of podcasts. I only knew of House of Pod vaguely, as my friend Nadia Bowles Weber recorded her podcast there. It's it's about the same lines as Alexa. Like Alexa can oh boy, I just said the word. The A word. Um <laughs> but um you can have her read like a book to you. So it is better than nothing. But I, I would concur it's definitely better than nothing. Um and if you're you know, it, uh, listen, there are people who enjoy that uh, full stop. Right. Uh, we are probably not those people. We enjoy real humans, real conversations, real engagement, real intimacy between the host and the listener. But I, I don't want to tell you don't do it because we don't like it. Right. Cause you will find tons of like Instagram reels, tons of Facebook reels, like tons of people putting out, videos that are doing just that they are using automated voices to read like comments from reddit threads or comments from stories or whatnot and they're getting tons and tons of of listens and likes and all those different things so there's a universe of people out there who enjoy getting content that way the wall street journal i believe even has that feature now where you click on the article it gives you the chance to read it to you so there's certainly a convenience to it there's certainly an audience for it um I, you know, and if you can do it in a way that you can be profitable, why not? But I would say don't go in there assuming this is the panacea of wealth. Yeah. Right? Like, I know um, Spotify just bought some sort of AI talking thing. And the example I heard on Pod News was pretty impressive. Like the robot even was like, like giggled or something like that. And I was like, well, that's <laughs> different. And then um, from what I hear... The idea is you're going to be able to take any WordPress blog, run it through a robot, and turn it into a podcast. And there was a part of me that somewhat cringed when I heard that because it's making it – and then again, I'm with Matthew. It's like doesn't mean that they're all going to be bad, but there's – the easier we make it to make bad, bad, in quotation marks, maybe not great content. Because remember, we don't talk like we write and we don't write like we talk. So – that could end up sounding really bizarre. There's a German newspaper producing a daily short podcast via artificial voices. Sounds much better than your example. Well, and again, if it sounds, if you can fool me at the end of it and you go, ha, that was a robot. Well then, okay. I'm just worried about, um, again, when anchor came out, a lot of people were talking about how great it was because it was free. And I still say the reason that anchor was cool was because it was easy. And so uh, that's, for me, uh, when we make it easy to now have a robot read something, I'm like, is that really a good thing? It's it's a potential to, uh, to be bad. Doesn't mean it's going to. But uh, also to all our friends on Twitter spaces, if you, if you have a question, uh, feel free to, to raise your hand or anything like that. I'll be happy to uh, bring you up on stage. And we'll see what uh, uh, you have to say there on Twitter spaces. And, of course, if you go to askthepodcastcoach.com slash join, you'll jump right into the video with Matthew and myself. And if you don't want to be on video, feel free to turn off your camera or we're at askthepodcastcoach.com slash live. 
if you want to uh, just watch and uh, enter your questions via chat. We did get some good news this week, and that was after years of having lots of people say, hey, ratings and reviews really don't help you in regards to being found. And it's, you know, we just hear that over and over and over. Uh, Apple finally came out with an article that said, hey, guess what? Uh, ratings and reviews don't help you get fed. doesn't mean they're horrible. doesn't mean they're worthless. They're social proof. But um, they actually came out with an article on uh, how Apple search works. And uh, Matthew, what were your big takeaways from this? Or what, when you saw that, what were you thinking? I mean, of course, the first thing was exactly what you said, that ratings and reviews are not a part of search, which only, you know, I've been espousing that for years based on what Walsh and you and others have said. So I feel vindicated that we were right about that. Um, also feel vindicated that I've been telling a lot of clients it's all about show title, episode title, and the artist field. Although, interestingly enough, I've also, in the past couple of weeks, I've been turned on to an app called Voxelize. And Voxelize is this fascinating program. They talk about podcast visibility optimization, another fancy way of saying podcast SEO. Hmm. And they, the, the presentation the guy gave me was fascinating. It was really intriguing. What he said and what seems to be kind of flushed out and what Apple was talking about is that it is about right having the right search terms, but there is also that engagement factor. So if you get a lot of downloads, if you get a lot of subscribers, uh, that is also going to help to boost your your rankings in the search. So not the ratings and reviews, but right, you still want to push people to subscribe to your show, download your show, right, things like that, and that's going to make a difference. If you decide to do a show with the word daily in it, you're not going to be at the top of the list necessarily. Hmm. Yeah, that's, it's so many people, I, I, I just saw someone that launched a show and it has one name, it has one word. I think it was, I want to say it was become, and on one hand, definitely, hey, you are doing more than many people. You've pressed record. You got the microphone. You know, you've launched. You are out and you're doing, you know, more than many other people. But I just thought, man, trying to be found when your name, like your podcast name is one word, I was like, hmm. And it had a blue butterfly on it. So I get the whole, I get the idea of it. It's it's probably some sort of transformational show, et cetera, et cetera. But I've... I've seen people that crawl into, and, and let's face it, some spaces are a little more crowded than others. And I think it, he started a golf podcast and wanted to know when he typed in the word golf, like he wasn't in the top. And I was like, well, I think Apple only displays the top 200-ish. Uh, <laughs> and if you just started and other people have 15 years of content in front of you, it may take a while. I had a a friend of mine that was doing a podcast about WordPress and it drove him nuts that he was number two for the longest time because the show that was number one was dead. They hadn't done any new episodes in years, but because they were kind of one of those early adopters, they had a ton of subscribers. And so in that algorithm of Apple subscribers, I think I'd have to go back and look at the article and see if total subscribers is part of that now. But that was was part of it, and he he just finally, eventually, just kept begging his audience, please go follow us, please subscribe, and eventually they they went over them. But it was uh, it took a while, and it really drove him nuts because he was getting beat by a show that hadn't put out an episode in years. 
power of your archive. By the way, this is something that often comes up when I'm talking to clients when they're talking about their marketing and their growth, which is, right, they, they put out new episodes on Monday. So they market that episode Monday to Friday, then comes the next Monday. And it's like that last week's episode just disappeared, right? It doesn't exist anymore. It's like, Mm. no, your archive is a powerful source of content, of information, of things that you could be sharing because, right, what if you come across somebody who didn't hear your show last week, but that episode would tickle them the right way this week. So don't ignore your archive. Um, I mean, listen, you do something topical like Bitcoin is down 20,000 points today. Okay. Yeah. That episode's not good six months from now. It might be, who knows, but (laughs) it's, uh, but right. Like if you're doing generic evergreen content, like, yeah, keep marketing that stuff. You know, somebody comes up in the news one day and you're like, Oh, I talked to that guy. Go push that episode out there, get new audience, get in, you know, ride that trend. Yeah. uh, um, mm -hmm. Harry Durand does a really good job of promoting his last episode at the beginning of the current episode you're listening to. He's like, Hey, thanks so much. That's smart. This is, uh, you know, welcome to podcast junkies where we talk about, you know, he introduces his show. He goes last week, we had a great conversation with Matthew Passy. We talked about live events and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and then he goes right into today. We're talking with so-and-so who does such and such. And usually at the end, he will tease his next episode. And I think that's such a great strategy because I've now heard three episodes about your show. I heard what you did last week. I just listened to what you did this week, and you just told me what you're going to do next week. So if I'm a brand new listener, I have three ideas of what your show is about, and that might make me actually hit that like, wow, this sounds like a really good show. It's time to subscribe and follow. So I, it's one of those where I'm like, oh, I need to do more of that. So Right, or, or Harry's has three chances to hit you with a topic that's going to hit you. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's a, it's a really good numbers game he's playing there. Yeah. Clay says right around half of my downloads every month are from my back catalog of four and a half years. I think I'm more because I have, you know, whatever, 800 shows, something like that, uh, episodes. I think I'm more closer to 60%. Do you, have, you ever look at that number for, for your stuff in terms no. of? I just know it's, I really don't pay attention to my numbers that that much at all. To be honest with you, I'm with you on that. I I really don't. I dive in maybe twice a a year where I will go in and like are because really I look at it when I upload it and I'm like oh look the the last episode did better than the episode before it or it went down a little bit or whatever and it's one of those things when I was a teacher I worked with a guy and he would literally the minute the his um his class was over, he would almost start sweating. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? He's like, I'm, I'm waiting for, you know, the class is doing their reviews. Cause you had to go to online and leave a review for the teacher. And how was everything? And I was like, well, how was the class? He goes, Oh, it, it went good. And I'm like, okay. I said, is there anything you would have done better? And he goes, no, not really. And I'm like, okay. So then like, what are you sweating for? You know what I mean? It's like, it's over. You can't change it now. You did your best, you know? So it's one of those things. I'm are they going to get a refund if they didn't like the class? Like, what's what's the difference going to be? Yeah. And so sometimes obsessing over your stats in the past, like, it's you put that episode out. It's like you're either going to pull it down if it's that horrible, which I don't think is typically the case, or B, you know, go, okay, well, they didn't like it when I talked about this or that. So um, Kim says, I, uh, I mark my blog posts on the day they're released, three days later, two weeks after that, and then monthly for six months. Uh, what's your? Uh, I would love to know what you're using for that in terms of like scheduling and because that sounds like a great idea. And I would just want to know why I limit to six months, but otherwise, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, because that's I am guilty of that. I am guilty of putting out an episode, 
promoting it, you know, the day it comes out, maybe uh, Hootsuite, she says. So I used to use Hootsuite. Now we use, I think it's Buffer or something like that. There are a few of them out there. I get, I keep getting suckered into whatever the latest one in AppSumo is. So I think we use Social B <laughs> yes. is the one that I bought last. That's and they I, have a, they've got like a recycle feature or something like that. So it'll kind of automatically spit things out again. Yeah. So, but it is one of those things where it's easy to fall in the trap of, okay, episodes out. Whoo. Okay. Do my little tweet and LinkedIn and whatever. And then you're on to the next episode. And it's like you said, we kind of, uh, ignore that back catalog and that could bring us in a whole lot more people. Um, so. Especially now with, with the emergence of more dynamic advertising opportunities that are out there where you can insert your own messaging. Like why not just right? You can monetize your entire back catalog without having to worry about like, right. We read a message today that, you know, might be different two weeks from now. But if you're doing it dynamically, you could say, hey, welcome to this episode. It's July. And whether you're listening to episode one or 395, it's, hey, it's 4th of July. Use the code fireworks to save 10% off a of school of podcasting. And then in August, you could change that out to something else, right? So that back catalog can be a massive, not only resource for your social and marketing and your growth, but could also bring you plenty of monetization opportunities if you are doing it correctly, or if you're if that is part of your strategy. And then another thing I've heard, and I'm by no means an SEO guru, but I know there are, are plugins where it will suggest, like, let's say we, it's a, it's a food podcast and we're talking about pizza and I, I can actually, this plugin will say, Oh, by the way, you talked about pizza a year and a half ago on this thing. You want to interlink to, it sounds weird. You want to link to yourself uh, somehow that makes it easier for Google to crawl your site, which can lend itself to, you know, better SEO and things of that nature. So are you sure you're not confusing with just Facebook memories that just showed you <laughs> ate a pizza this time last year? I hate Facebook memories. They usually, <laughs> they usually make me depressed. It's like, oh, that's what I looked like 30 pounds lighter. Thank you, Facebook. Mm -hmm. I feel great right now. Uh, Craig from Inglaeus Podcast wants to know, have you noticed any uptick in video production among your podcast clients? Yes, 100%. Not that we've had 100% of, yeah. of clients wanting to do it, but absolutely more and more folks are talking to us about video. Um, most new clients coming on, it is immediately part of the discussion, immediately part of the plan, or at least a potential part of the plan. Um, and now we're getting calls from clients that we've had for years. We're like, all right, we need to start addressing video or uh, spoke to a client earlier this week. They're even just going to go and do, you know, use the Libsyn feature and just throw the image up there and let that feed all their episodes straight to YouTube. Because for a number of different reasons, uh, if you're not doing video, you're missing out on a lot of potential. And I don't know if we want to dive too deep into that now, or if I'm going to bore everyone, but uh, you tell me, Dave. No, go right ahead. I know the thing that still floors me is I've had people join the school of podcasting because I, I have two toes in the YouTube in my YouTube channel. At the top, it says new videos every Wednesday. That's a bold place. It's like more like every other Wednesday at this point. But I have had people join the school of podcasting that go, oh, you do audio stuff too? And I'm like, oh, come on, really? They're two completely separate audiences. So yeah, absolutely. Video is, is another source of, of people to, uh, to bring into your stuff. 
I mean, yeah, we've seen people are, you know, people writing articles about, Oh, the top listening for podcasts is on YouTube. It's like, that's not really a podcast. So it's not even amateurs or even some pros, but yeah, to your point, you know, the one that I usually say for the end, but you've kind of already alluded to is that there is a growing population of people who only consume content on YouTube, right? They, they watch new TV shows, movies, music videos, they use YouTube like Google, right? Google, uh, YouTube is the number two search engine behind Google itself. So another reason to get on there. The fact that people are only watching YouTube for their content consumption means if you're not on there, then you are not reaching a large swath of your potential audience. Of course, uh, video tends to get a lot more engagement on social, right? It's hard to market a podcast on social media without using a video element, because it just is. But when you post video, all the platforms will give you preferential treatment, right? They're going to elevate that. They're going to put it in front of you. It tends to get more engagement, more views, things like that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I just think the, the opportunities are huge. We had one client who started with just audio and then we were kicking them over to YouTube via the lips and destination and his YouTube videos were getting more downloads than the audio. Wow. To the point where he decided, okay, let's actually produce the video. So now we take his recordings and we actually edit the video. So we have, you know, him and the guest side by side on screen. Um, and, and now he's actually really like video first. He has since moved over. Sorry. He has since moved over to <laughs> anchor because he was getting so many requests to be on Spotify with video. Hmm. And that was the only way that he could get it done. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he really went from being audio preferably to video first. I need to look into that. Cause I tried, I uploaded a video of this show to anchor. I wanted to make a video version of it on Spotify, still have it on YouTube, still have it as an audio podcast. And it converted my video to audio. And I'm like, no, that's not what I wanted. So I'm it, so it does that. Okay. So when, when we upload his episodes, we upload the video and then it shoots out a video version and an audio version. So you have to be a little cognizant of what you're doing there, but also we had to be invited. So I got, I got an email from anchor saying, Hey, Matthew, I see that you're the email on this feed. Right. And I'm like, we would like to invite them to do video. I'm like, that person's not doing video, but I've got this person who definitely wants to do video. And they're like, all right, bring them over. Um, so it's, I, at some point they will say everybody can do it, but right now they're still being selective and, and picking and choosing. And Stefan, to your question about, are we talking about audiograms? Any form of video, um, is beneficial, especially on your marketing, but what I would say is if, if nothing else, right, like if I have to tier what is going to be more engaging, what's going to get you the most recognition with video, right, the still image with your audio, low-hanging fruit, right, that's the easiest way to do it. Libsyn will do it for you for free. There's a service out there I can't remember that, that kind of offers this like, you know, just spit it out as a, as a quick video. If you have a computer, either iMovie or Windows Movie Maker, it takes you about five minutes to put it together and however long it's going to take to render that stuff out there. Uh, then I would say one step above that would be the audiograms of the visualized audio player, right? Still mostly a still image, but some movement on there, right? The wave bar, the progress bar, the captions, whatever. Um, I, I don't know if that drives a ton of real engagement, but it still gets you 
video, it still gets you into the search and things like that. And then, yeah, from there, I would say start to progress to something like this, right? A stream yard, live video, right? We're seeing as we're talking or to something heavily edited, overly produced, not overly, a lot of production, right? Yeah. We have we have some folks who we're doing, you know, we're flying in, yeah, they're talking about a news story, so we fly in the headline right off the side of the screen. We have another guy, we, we put in like a timeline in their video of what they're talking about as they're going through it. So it definitely takes a lot more time. It, it can be a little bit more expensive, but, um, you know, there's certainly some benefits to, uh, to going a video first mentality. Yeah. So these are in, in your case, we we're talking about, this is an edited audio. And then you're like, if you're doing the, the Libsyn thing or just spitting it out, that's already an edited audio. It's not like a live right. kind of thing. I know Eric Hunley, I can't remember the name. He did an interview show and it did okay in audio. It's gone completely bonkers on YouTube. And it's this, as far as I know, it's the same content. I haven't uh, reached out to him, but I saw a thing where he has like a gazillion subscribers. He hit just some big milestone thing. Is that the unstructured one? Unstructured, yes. I think he's doing okay. unstructured on YouTube now. And I don't know why it didn't do as well on audio that it does. On, does it, it apparently is doing on video, but he's just killing it over there. So again, I wonder if what he's talking about matters, right? A lot of it's body language. It's, mm. you know, it, and, and also the subject matter. I think you find a lot of those like searches on video right now. I think they, they kind of line up. Um, Neil Headley says, uh, I decided to do a video version of a podcast I was doing, but I got obsessed with making the video perfect. That is very easy to do. And it sucked all the fun out of it for me. So yeah, video has more stuff. I mean, I hate whatever's going on with my hair right here, but you know, it, it is what it is. And I'll, I'll live with that. And I could obsess over the fact that my book cover has a bent corner, maybe get a different book there. You know, a lot of things to obsess over and, um, yeah, if it's taking the fun out of it, then absolutely don't do it. That's really the key to that. Uh, and we've got a, we've got a mix of clients that do produced video, like produced audio, raw video. So they'll record on Riverside Squadcast, zoom, whatever will enhance the audio based on what we're using for the podcast. We edit the crap out of the podcast, but the video we just throw up with intro screen, video, better audio, outro screen and call it a day because I think people are way more forgiving on video than they are with audio as far as performance and ums and ahs and, and stuff like that. Right. The uh, DR says, there's been so much back and forth regarding audiograms. It makes me sad. I think they could be a compelling component. They just need more imagination. The one that always that I just go, hmm, is when someone has listened through the entire interview to find that five-second golden nugget of the the guest and depending on now if they if they clip that out as they were editing the show okay but it's when they have to go back and listen to the episode again to find it i'm like i'm pretty sure you're going to get just as much traction by saying hey on this week's show you know uh tina smith said blah 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 instead of finding the actual clip of tina why don't you just say it and put your little squiggly line and and off you go it takes 10 seconds versus an hour and a half to find that uh, that gold nugget. That's the part that I was kind of like, eh. you know, if you got tons of time, okay. But I I was never quite sure on that one. So. You know, I would I would challenge. We were having like, like I said, I I do like telling people if they don't have the time, they don't have the 
you know, the team, the bandwidth wave or headliner are easy ways to spit out audiograms. Um, and again, just because it creates video, that's better than nothing. But, you know, there was a comment that you had up there for a second about uh, so much back and forth regarding audiograms. It makes me sad. I think they could be more compelling component. I'll be honest. I think I'd much dear. Thank you. I would if you're going to spend, like you said, 30 minutes re-listening to an episode, finding that clip, uploading it to the service, adding this, adding that, tweaking this, tweaking that, changing all the subtitles, exporting and getting go. I challenge that you would get better performance if instead you pick up your phone, you hit record and you go, hey, everyone, so excited for this week's episode. I got to talk to Dave Jackson on the podcast. <laughs> Click in the links below to check it out. Right. Like that personal video, that selfie video, that connection to people, I think would be way more successful than the audiograms. I think there is a place for audiograms, but I don't think they are the panacea of podcast marketing and growth that they are sometimes marketed as. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I know I asked my audience once, you know, what are your thoughts on audiograms? Have you ever clicked on one? Have you discovered a new show because of that? And kind of the consensus was it's a great marketing thing. Like it's because on one hand, if you think about it, many of the people that listen to your show are already following you on social. So you you are kind of preaching to the choir. But they said when you have this image and the squiggly line or whatever, it's like it looks kind of cool. And if you do it right, if you think about instead of I'm sending this out to my followers, if you if you send it out as here's a marketing piece so that my followers can promote it to their followers, you know, think too too deep into social media. That's where I think sometimes uh, those can uh, can come into play. So, or to your guest, even yeah, that's a, that's a really good thing. Send it to your guest to you know to post out there. Yeah, and uh, speaking of guests and awesome people, we do want to take just a quick second and say thank you to our awesome supporters. If you'd like to be an awesome supporter, go over to uh, askthepodcastcoach.com slash support. And uh, we always like to thank, of course, James over at the Dog Podcast Network. Matthew, do you have a dog for your uh, for your twins and your kids? No. we uh, When we were moving and having knowing we were pregnant, we were like, oh, great, house, kid, dog. When we heard it was twins, I said, I'm not going to be outnumbered by things whose poop <laughs> I have to clean up. So now that they are, you know potty trained now the dog discussion is happening <laughs> oh boy well if you if you need something to listen to while you're walking the dog around the block or wherever you're going take him to the park they have long shows they have short shows everything it's all dog all the time at the dog podcast network find it at dogpodcastnetwork.com uh, um, if you haven't uh, tried pod page yet Go to tripodpage.com. Uh, Ask the Podcast Coach is hosted on Podpage. Matthew, I think you're a fan of Podpage. Oh, big, 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 big fan of Podpage. Yeah. Brendan is good people. Yeah. Uh, if you miss Jim, well, you can go find him. He's over at theaverageguy.tv. Go check out his show at homegadgetgeeks.com. And, of course, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but you can find everything Matthew Passy at thepodcastconsultant.com. And when you think podcasting, well, think schoolofpodcasting.com. And if, again, if you'd like to be an awesome supporter, simply go out to askthepodcastcoach.com slash support. So um, did you have to pay four figures for The Podcast Consultant? No. In fact, the reason why I got The Podcast Consultant is because I Googled 
podcastconsultant.com and it pointed back to this ridiculous page <laughs> school of podcasting. It's like, well, that sucks. <clears throat> and honestly, I, I, so I just threw V in there to see what would happen and it worked. I was like, oh. and honestly, I sat on it for a few months before I actually decided to really start using it in earnest. There you go. But, uh, as a, uh, when you do these podcast audits, if you had to pick, I don't know, a top five or top three, you're like, what do you see the most that you're like, like, what do you consider low hanging fruit? Uh, It's a little bit different for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I know this is going to be one of those like non answers to your, to your (laughs) question. But what I find happens the most are three things. One, the person was just given terrible, terrible advice and we have to kind of, you know, tear it down and, and rebuild the whole thing. Uh, number two, you tell people all this stuff and they go, Oh my God, that was so obvious. Why didn't I do it? Right. And it's just, they were kind of blind, you know, by the, the rush of it, or, you know, it's hard to self criticize or self critique and, and edit yourself. But the thing that I think comes up more and more than anything else in the world are people who tell you, this is what my show is about. And then you listen to your show and you go, mm, no, it's not. Mm. Or it's like, why did you want to do this podcast in the first place? Well, I really wanted to do this. Well, but you're over here doing this. And the fact that their their execution isn't lining up with their goals and their ambition is usually the biggest disconnect in why it doesn't work. Because if you are saying to your audience, hey, audience, listen to the show because you're going to get A. And then every time you open up the mic, you go, B, 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 B. Well, the audience is going to go, well, that's not what I'm here for. And so it's hard to either A, be successful or B, even find out if you can be successful if you are not doing what you set out to actually do. I got I got officially pissed this week Uh-oh. because there was a show and the description says, you know, the behind the scenes of the the um, whatever classic Cleveland station WMMS. And I was like, dude, I grew up on WMMS. It was the epitome of personality-driven radio. I felt like I knew Kid Leo. I felt like I knew Denny Sanders. And I've I've read books about WMS. There are a lot of really great stories. And I clicked on it, and I went to the very first episode because I'm, I'm, I'm all in, and it was an episode about Cedar Point, which is an amusement park in Ohio. And I was like, where's – like he's talking about all, and all these cool roller coaster sounds. And I'm like, where's the WMS stuff? Like I looked, I went back to the artwork. It's got a picture of the buzzard because WMS is the home of the buzzard. I'm like you've got the buzzard in your your artwork. Your description says WMS, and then I finally, as I dug through it, he's doing season two, and season two is all about WMS. Season one was all about fun things in Ohio, and I was like, then you should because it even says like um, tales from the buzzard or something of the buzzard. Like everything says buzzard. And then the first episode, I'm and I'm so excited. I mean, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. And I get roller coaster talk, and I was like, oh, bait and switch, dropping f bombs in an empty room. I like, I can't believe <laughs> I was really, really mad. So, but on the other hand, it's like going back to what you said. For me, I think the number one question that I usually ask clients is, why are you doing the podcast? Because I've I've seen that where like, well, I'm hoping to to sell more books. And then you listen to the podcast and they never mention that they have a book ever. Right, it's, I, I want to, I want to raise my profile and show how smart I am. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to interview other people and spend 90% <laughs> highlighting them. Like, 
I mean, it works. Interviews are good, but it doesn't hit your, your, yeah. I, I always ask the same questions. Like you're going to put in all this time, invest all this money. You're going to work hard. You're going to convince people to listen. And the question is after this person is done listening, what do you want them to do? And listen, the answer could be simply laugh and listen some more, right? That is right. That's the point of a, a Joe Rogan or a lot of these comedian podcasts is just listen, uh, laugh and listen again. Or in some cases, it's a support thing, right? They, you don't always have to sell something. You don't always get something out of it. But if you can't answer the question of what is it you want this person to do when they are done listening, then you have zero chance of being successful. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when Mark Maron first started out and Jay Moore, uh, Greg Fitzsimmons, or a bunch of kind of like they'd been on like Letterman, they'd been on Conan, so they were kind of famous, but not really a household name. And all three of them said they started a podcast many times just interviewing their other comedian friends. But I know Jay Moore especially and Mark Maron both always kind of start off with some sort of like, here's what's going on in my life or here's what I'm thinking. And it's it's weird because in many times it's not really jokes. It's just them talking about their life. But I really felt like I started to get to know these people. And all three of those guys said, yeah. I used to play these little bitty clubs and now I'm playing theaters and it's interesting because they show up and they're in some cases shouting things from the podcast or whatever. And it was because they were developing this relationship with their audience. So it goes back to, like you said, I want them to laugh and hit play again to build that relationship. And that was the other thing they do. Hey, I'm going to be in the, the chuckle hut and you know, whatever Poughkeepsie this week. And what do you know? The, the chuckle hut sells out. So um, well, and, and now they can insert those ads dynamically. So if I go and listen to episode one of Mark Maron, I'll hear what he's doing this week as opposed to hitting, hearing what he did back in 2013. But it's funny you bring up the, the, you know, the pre-chatter. I always, I, I liked Mark's show. I thought he was an excellent, mm-hmm. I thought he was a good interviewer. I don't know, excellent. He was a good interviewer. Sometimes he gets a little interrupty. But what I always joke is I always say, but he, he pisses me off with the cat talk. Right. He spends 20 minutes before he gets the interview talking about his stupid cats. I'm like, I, I, that's not what I'm here for. Like you told me that whatever Patrick Stewart's going to be on the show. I came to listen to Patrick Stewart. I do not care about your cats, but it works for him. Right. He's a comedian. He can tell in a funny way. He's personalizing. He's, he's relating to his audience. That's what his show is about. When I get clients who are mostly focused on their business or promoting their brand or, or teaching or whatever, and they do 20 minutes of cat talk thinking they're a morning show or thinking they're interesting. I'm like, why are you doing this? Right. Your audience, you, you are wasting your audience's time, right? They're not here to hear about your cat. And sorry if you like cats. I say cat talk in a demeaning way, and I mean it that way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, you are, if you are out there trying to sell something, sell something. Do not waste our time with your nonsense cat talk to try and make yourself funny or cool. That's not the point of your show. Just know what your point is and follow it. If you want to do cat talk, launch a separate show and do, you know, cat talk hour. I didn't say cats are stupid. <laughs> I did not say they are stupid. No. My I fa- said cat talk, it could be stupid. <laughs> I remember once I'm in the parking lot of a Chipotle eating my Chipotle and I'm listening to Mark Marin and Tom Segura, two comedians that I like. And I'm about 12 minutes in, because Tom Segura, I think, is hilarious. And it, it dawns on me that I'm about 14 minutes in, 
and I haven't even chuckled once because they're talking about, hey, remember, did you ever get the greasy sandwich at the, the you know, Laugh Factory or the blah, blah, blah? And they're talking about all because it was during, you know, height of pandemic. All these places are shutting down and it's all remember this club. Remember, well, I don't remember that club. I, I, I live in Akron, Ohio. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I'm listening. Like, why am I listening to this? And I'm like, oh, because they're famous. And I think they're probably going to say something good soon. And it dawned on me that I just kept listening. And I'm like, nope, still not laughing. Nope, still don't care. Still could stop right now and not feel like I'm going to miss anything. And so there are times when I think we try, we think we can get away with stuff that, quote, famous people do. You know, we're like, I'm going to start off my podcast with eight minutes of episodes because that's what Joe Rogan does. Yeah, there's one problem. Uh, you're not Joe Rogan. You know what I mean? It's like, so that drives me. Uh, d- does Joe Rogan make you throw up in your mouth? Not not the person, not the show, but just the thing. Well, Joe Rogan does it. Does that make you like just go kind of crazy when you hear that? I, I Yeah, I usually gag just a, a little bit when I hear it. But you know, I, it's funny you bring that up. I've been listening to Smartless with uh, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. And they do a similar thing, right? They interview other famous celebrities and directors and actors and musicians and all that kind of stuff. And they do a little bit of personal talk in the beginning, but they are so self-deprecating and so like they're just, you know, taking jabs at each other that it is hilarious. Right. And I do actually like sometimes I look forward to that more than anything else because I get a good laugh at it. Now, listen, I listen to Smartless as my humor release. I am not getting value out of that other than the entertainment. So that's okay. They also the best part is their guest is sitting there waiting to be introduced Right. They, they don't one person brings the guest. The other two don't know who it is. And so then all of a sudden the guest comes in and they start saying, man, you're an idiot. You went golfing without inviting Will to the guy. Like, like, you know, it, it becomes a part of the show and it's humorous. But, yeah, I agree. If it's so inside baseball, if it's like this little inside clicky joke amongst the two hosts, how am I supposed to enjoy that as the audience? Yeah, absolutely. We have a, a this is a fun question. This is from Craig. Um, any advice on changing co-host? I'm in transition to a new co-host and not sure whether to rebrand totally with a new partner and try to keep the same kind of successful vibe as before. So the I, the only thing I could think of is Kelly Ripa. I write it used to be Kelly and Regis. It wasn't. No, originally it was Regis, it was Regis and Kathy Lee. Right. And now it's Kelly and I don't know. I know. Is it still Ryan, Ryan Seacrest? Yeah. So uh, bye, that's a good question. I guess, number one, do you know who your new co-host is going to be? Or I know you might turn that – boy, I was going to say you could turn that into a game. You know, ask your audience who wants to be the next co-host. And now, Survivor and, podcast. Yeah, now you've got co-host <laughs> idol. But the good, the bad news is anytime you award anybody anything, you've got a bunch of people that didn't win that now hate your guts. So I don't know. Any advice, uh, Matthew? I I don't know how to pick a new co-host. I've had – Two on podcast me anything and, and it wasn't a matter of not liking one or needing to switch anything out. It was just life changes, timing changes, things change. The question I would ask, because you go a little bit further into, do you rebrand totally? Do you do a new show? Is there a problem with the show? Is there a problem with the vibe or is it just a problem of either the host can't do it anymore or the host doesn't fit or the host, right? Or you and the host don't get along. If it's just a matter of this one piece of the puzzle doesn't work, then I wouldn't 
go through the exercise of rebranding, changing the whole thing, confusing the audience, possibly, you know, losing some of your audience to who are looking for this specific property and not being there. Or if the whole show is a problem and this co-host leaving is an opportunity to rebrand, then yeah, go ahead and rebrand, change the name, change the artwork, do the whole thing and, and start fresh. It, it, I know it's so cliche and I do this all the time and it kind of drives me nuts, which is why personalized calls and audits are a little bit better because I can address your problems. But truthfully, the answer to most questions in podcasting is it depends. It depends. And, and if so, if you're asking what kind of mic should I get and somebody's not asking you the follow up question of where are you doing this out of? What is your budget? Blah, blah, blah. Like, are you doing it in person with other people? Are you Like, if you're not getting the facts, then most of their answers are self-serving and not to help you. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you do find your co-host, have the awkward conversation. Who owns the show? Who owns the name? Who owns the content? If there's any money involved, who gets what? Just set all the expectations so that you can go back to the fun stuff of making your podcast. Because as someone who works at Libsyn, I'm going to jinx my house self. I haven't seen one in a while, but when Ernie and Bert get in an argument, it, it gets ugly, and people change passwords and delete the entire back catalog because F you oh. and the horse you rode in. Yeah, it gets ugly. So have that in uh, – even in writing if you want to, even if it's just a Word doc that you both sign, but it gets ugly. Same with producers and consultants. Mm. It is it is one of the biggest things that I, I hate dealing with is someone telling me, yeah, we're, we're not really like the work that our editor is doing. Would you mind taking on the show? Like – Sure, you know, we're happy to obviously take on more work. But then I I I worry like, okay, do you have control of your show? And the answer is no. Yeah. And so it becomes this tricky dance of how do you get control of your show without tipping your hat and pissing this person off and potentially getting them to delete your show, you know, not give it over, lose your subscriber. So uh, we we always tell our hosts when they are working with us like, you sign up for the hosting account. And we will access it. But if our relationship breaks down, like I don't want to be in a situation where we are holding them or their content or their show hostage. So that's not just about co-hosts. That's anybody who works on your content. Be careful. And like I said at the beginning of the show, I like Matthew Passy. That is the correct answer, my friend. You don't, <laughs> oh, geez, Louise. Yeah. Um, we actually have somebody. Uh, Poppy, if you want to unmute yourself, uh, Poppy is in our Twitter spaces. <laughs> Uh, and uh, has a question I'm assuming for. So, Poppy, uh, welcome to the show. How can we help you? Hey, thank you. You guys are great. Thank you for doing this. I have two quick questions. I, my mind was blown with the idea, instead of an audiogram, how about recording yourself excitedly introducing the topic of your episode? Oh, my God, what a great idea. But should I do it as an audiogram or like Twitter now has a way for you to do an audio tweet? I mean, what would be what would the suggestion be? Should is the visual kind of important still and to have an audiogram or no? How often when you're on Twitter, do you see audio only tweets? Not often, but I love audio and I was thinking of trying to do it more. What do you think of how that? often how often when you see those audio only tweets do you click on them? Every time. How often do you do something after that? 
Well, because a lot of them are just kind of silly at this point. You know, they're not like a call to action or I don't notice a lot of businesses or professionals using them, but I don't think that's necessarily a reason to shy away from them. That's fair. I, I would say based on your first response, which is you don't see them very often, I would post the video, the video, all these platforms prefer video content. Now that's it because you are passionate about audio because you like the audiograms. Maybe you're paying for one of these services. You can also post it as an audiogram, right? There's nothing in the rule book that says you can't put out content in multiple ways and multiple formats. I actually work with a client who puts out a, he does one recording and then mm-hmm. he takes the recording. He does a long episode featuring the guest He does a 20-minute episode with, like, rapid-fire questions, and then he takes one of those clips of the episode, creates a trailer, puts that on his feed, like, two or three days before. He's getting three pieces of content from one interview that he did, Mm -hmm. um, and there's nobody who can tell you that you can't do that. So I think the video is good because it will will not only get more engagement as a video, Mm -hmm. but truthfully, we want to interact with real people. We want to see, we want to know you're smiling. We want to know you're enjoying it. We want to, right? Like we want to connect with you. So the selfie video I think is really successful because it helps you to personalize and create a relationship with the audience. But if you also put out the audiogram, why not? Yeah, I love that. Okay. Another just quick question. My podcast is really, I would say, entertainment-based, and most of the received wisdom and advice you see about podcasting, I would say 90% of it pertains to a nonfiction show, like an interview-based show. And I'm wondering if you all work with any clients whose goals are like mine. I just want to entertain people, maybe inform them about my topic, and that's it. And how do I... I can't pull sound bites out because it's a solo scripted show. I mean, I can find some, but how do you, I guess my question is just how do you tailor advice you hear to a show that is different than the mainstream? Well, first of all, why can't you pull quotes from a solo show? Oh, I, I do, but it doesn't always lend itself the style of my show to a sound bite. And sometimes I struggle. Now I'm with Buzzsprout, and they do allow you to do what they call visual sound bites, mm-hmm. which makes it very easy. But it, I, I think some episodes I'm more successful than others in being able to just tantalize in that 60 seconds. I would say in that case, then that's all the more reason for you to go back to the selfie video so that you can mm-hmm. tantalize in. 30, 60, 90, I guess, is Buzzsprout limiting you to 60 seconds? Is that why you're going for that? Okay, that makes sense. Um, But yeah, in that case, then just record the video and and tantalize in whatever time it takes for you to do that. And I don't work with a ton of pure entertainment shows, right, whose purpose is just to make people laugh and to grow an audience and then turn around and monetize or whatever that audience. But most of this advice still applies, because okay. even though your even though your value is different from what we were talking about, you mm-hmm. are still delivering value. You are telling your audience you are here to laugh and learn. Let's say, mm-hmm. right? You are going to learn about this. You're going to you're going to laugh about this. You're going to have fun with us. And so that that value statement exists, and that's the one that you have to focus on, and that's the one that you have to tell your audience to look out for 
and to share with their friends and peers and others if they are getting that same experience from it. So I don't think the advice is necessarily different. It just has to be, you just have to apply it to the lens that, that fits what you're doing. Right. Uh, David in the chat room wants to know a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit more about your show? Oh, sure. It's called Confessions of a Closet Romantic. Uh, The reason I named it that was because I was always kind of ashamed. You know, I've been to college, but I love romance. And it is not always um, taken seriously in our culture. And I decided that I was going to have a lot of fun, but take it seriously because I love the genre so much in books, shows and and movies. And so I take a, a show, a TV show, a movie and a book every episode on a theme. And I talk about it. I talk about what I love and I break it down and just have fun with it. Got it. And that goes, sounds like a great show. I'm going to say, go, oh, thanks. it goes back to your original thing. You're kind of just doing this to be entertaining and, and to have fun. So if somebody said, why are you doing that? Is, is that your primary reason? Like, look, oh. it's a hobby. I'm having fun. I'm entertaining people. It's actually really important to me. Uh, my intro always says that I discuss And I gush, but I do it shame-free. Because in the beginning, I wanted to find other listeners who also hid in the closet and didn't necessarily want to tell people that this is something they loved, which I thought was bogus. And I decided to start talking out loud to everybody around the world about it and to say there's nothing to be ashamed of. We should just embrace what we love. And that's my primary goal every episode. I get pretty silly, but I hope that people giggle and that they also sort of say, yeah, she's talking about all this stuff out loud. We might as well just claim this love of our of the genre and just, you know, not hesitate. So every time I do an episode, I think about that. It, it sounds like part of what, and I'm not sure whether or not you do this or not, but it sounds like, part of what your show either needs or it's focus on or something that you should be thinking about more is the sense of community, right? You are talking about getting people like-minded people to (laughs) step out of the closet, you know, do so without shame, talk about it, talk to each other. So if you haven't already write some sort of Facebook group or Slack channel or tribe or write a place where you can gather like-minded folks or your audience so that they can, talk and share and interact either about the show or about other things that would relate to your show topic. And by growing this group, by growing this community, Mm -hmm. that is probably going to be closer to accomplishing your actual goal than just the podcast itself. Oh, I agree. But I just don't, I've been at this almost two years. I just don't know how to do it. I've, I've read a lot and I'm even uh, take part in another romance podcaster's Facebook page, but it was founded in uh, 2018, which to me is like the dark ages of podcasting. Like it was a long time ago and they had time to build it up. I just don't get a lot of engagement. So I just feel like 2018 or 15, 18, 2018. That was not I, the dark ages. You don't <laughs> think was, it was? It was very much the light. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of light in 28. <laughs> But you know what? Here's the thing. You, yeah. you, the point of community is you don't do it alone. And so if yeah. you've got listeners, I, I bet you, I would be willing to bet money that if you put a, an announcement at the beginning of your show that said, hey, everyone, would you be interested in forming a Facebook group or a Slack channel or something where we can all talk and share and, and blah, 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 you know, 
one, let me know that you would be interested in something like that. And two, if there are other people who would want to be moderators or leaders of this community, let me know because you don't always have to do the work, right? There could be right. other folks who are helping to keep the momentum going and who are, who are probably super passionate about this the way you are. Yes, I hope so, you guys. Well, I'll check back in with you and let you know yeah. about my success. But thank you for those ideas. You guys are fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. The uh, The other thing I would, if I was looking at your show, I would look at the last thing you say. Like, what is your call to action? Because when you said, like, how do I start a group? Well, you go over to Facebook, you start a group, and then you say, hey, let's keep the conversation going. Go over to whatever your website is slash Facebook join the Facebook group. That's how you started. And then when there one person shows up, you're like, Hey, Jill, Steve, Dan, Barbara, whatever. Thanks for joining the group. What's your favorite romance thing? And you start a conversation and, and off you go. So okay. Jill, Steve, Barbara sounds like a really awkward Mary Kate or you know, <laughs> yeah. like a, a single name made up of a conglomeration of three names. <laughs> hey, I'm Jill, Steve Austin. <laughs> awesome. Anything else we can help you with? Well, you guys, it sort of it sort of brings up some deeper philosophical things about podcasting I've read. And one was by Evo Terra a few years ago where he talked about, um, okay, so let's just say I love cooking. I love cooking, but I don't I like to do cooking. I don't like to read about cooking. I don't like to listen to people talk about cooking, but I love cooking. I am passionate about it, but that is not my a preferred way to get information about my topic. And then he drills all the way down and he says, we get down to a podcast about cooking. No, thank you. I don't care to hear about people talk about cooking or recipes, but I am a passionate cook. And he talks about when we grow audiences, we have to understand. So my idea about community is there are a lot of introverts in the world who have no interest in social media or joining a community to talk about romance but they love romance. They may even tune into my show and don't mind listening to my show about romance, but they don't want to talk to others about it. So I feel like it might be a numbers issue for me. I don't have the mass of numbers yet where I would get the few people who want to talk about romance and join others in a community to do that. I feel like I've got people who like to listen, but they don't want to engage in any other way. And and those same people will join a Facebook group and not engage. There are a oh. lot of people that want to lurk, but they enjoy Facebook. Uh, I have people in in my Facebook group um, who are paying. That's like they're that that's a perk of being a member of my membership site. And they go in and they listen and they watch, but they rarely engage. So. I I get that. I always tell people podcasting is a great tool for introverts because you get to meet lots of people without meeting lots of people. And so I think a Facebook group could be the, the same way just because I join a Facebook group. And that's where sometimes we get, I think, uh, the vanity of saying, well, I have 12,000 people in my Facebook group or however many people you have. And then you post something and you get seven likes. I'm like, yeah. Okay. But the people that, like that post are the people that you're going to interact with. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Don't overthink the numbers. And there's, I, I, I smell a little bit of imposter syndrome going on there. Like why would anybody yes. want to join me? 
No, I just, uh, if you haven't watched it yet, watch uh, my next guest is by David Letterman on Netflix. He interviews, she's set so many Ariana records. Grande? Uh, nope, it's um, mm. Billie Eilish. Billie oh, I- yes. And Billie Eilish goes, is just filled with imposter syndrome, like all yeah. over the place. And as is David Letterman, he, he admits that. And David Letterman is like, hey, when you win your first Grammy, like, what does that do to a kid? Because she was like, I don't know, 19, 20, something like that. Mm-hmm. And she said, the first thing I thought of is like, oh, this must not be any good if they're giving one of these to me. And he's <laughs> like, there's the imposter syndrome. So um, don't let that hold you back. Just, you know, okay. Garth Brooks. And, go ahead, uh, Matthew. I, I love Evo Terra, by the way. I think he's a great human being and, and very wise and gives out a lot of good information and, and insight on podcasting. But just because he feels that way doesn't mean everybody does. Okay, right. When I right. Right, like I when I I don't go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> when yeah. I when I first started podcasting, I was starting a podcast about music marketing. And there is like the godfather of music marketing. His name is Bob uh, Baker. He was one of my first guests. And I, I said, "How did you get up the nerve to start your newsletter?" And he said, "Oh, I had been in a band and I had written some things for a magazine." And he said, so I just took an imaginary, like, magic wand and said, poof, you're an expert. And you don't have – when I was teaching, I didn't have to know – like, I, I used to teach Microsoft Access class, which is the software that's just painful. There's no nothing fun about Microsoft Access. And I remember once I had to teach an advanced class, and I talked to my boss. I said, I'm not an advanced Access user. I can teach what's in the book. And he goes, remember – you just have to know a little more than your students. You don't have to be an expert. Mm-hmm. And so you don't – if you're thinking or sitting and thinking, well, I'm no you know, uh, romantic yeah. guru or whatever, like <laughs> you, just, you just have to you know, have that passion and get in there and, and go to town. Yeah. Well, and also do you guys feel like it's a deterrent if I open up a group and two people are in it? I would think those are my super fans. I'm going to totally pay attention to them because they're going to spread the word about my show for sure. But does it seem pathetic to open the group and just keep promoting it? And if you're the only one in it, I guess I'm like the fifth grader at the birthday party. I'm afraid like nobody's going to come, you know? Except they'll definitely not show up if you don't do it. You're right? Right. You've either got you've either got absolutely no chance that they show up or yes, we all have to be desperate pathetic. We've all got to start somewhere, right? You watch your favorite television show that's been on the air for 10, 15, 30 years. I mean, this is the example I go back to, but if if you ever watch like the real first pilot episode of like The Simpsons or Seinfeld and maybe I'm dating myself, they yeah. were terrible. Yeah. <laughs> the sets look terrible. The animation was terrible. like everything wasn't great, but you got to start somewhere. So you either start somewhere are... and get it over with now or keep telling yourself it's not worth it. And you definitely won't go anywhere. Yeah. Sting told a great story on the tonight show and he said they were playing the sting. This is back when he was in the police mm-hmm. and he said, uh, they played to a theater that had stand so close to me, Dave. <laughs> and he had, they said they had three people in the audience Three people. And so they just kind of got done with the first song and they look up and there's three people and they hear a smattering of, you know, applause in the background. And they said, what songs do you guys want to hear? Like they totally tailored the concert to the three people that showed up, gave them tons of personalized attention. Well, one of those guys was a DJ 
that started then playing their music on the radio, which led to more people. So you never know yeah. who those people are. I mean, I've told this story before. When I was in a band, we, I played at a club to seven people, counting the bartender. And one of those guys hired the band to play his birthday party where he bought every single, like everything we had in merch, which was a lot of T-shirts and sunglasses and all this stuff. We made a huge amount of money at this birthday party because we played like we were playing an arena when we were playing to six people in a smelly old bar that later uh, burned down because it turned into a meth lab. There we go. There's, there's one to know. But so start. And, yeah. and smother the people that show up. And then the other thing you can do is create a little fear of missing out. You can say, hey, um, thanks so much for listening to the show. Let's continue that conversation. This week I was talking with Bernadette, and she was talking about this great book that I never knew about, yada, yada, yada. Now, mm -hmm. I don't have to say that Bernadette is one of the two people that signed up. I just <laughs> need to say that I'm having this conversation over here, and you're missing out on it. And yeah. You know, so get that fear, yeah. that FOMO going, and and people will sign up. And you know, if you think about it, if you go from two people to three, you just grew your your Facebook group by thirty three percent. You guys are the best. You have made thirty three or fifty percent. So Is it? Wait, yeah. I never do math on a podcast live. That's, yeah. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. You're welcome. What's what's uh, what, the name of the show again, by the way? And what's your website? It's Confessions of a Closet Romantic, and the site is confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. There we go. Thank you. If she had said something like confessions.blogspot. I was like, or, or I don't have it. <laughs> no, a, now give up. Yeah, goodbye. Yeah, they're like, all right, that's enough. So My website is confessions.anchor.fm. Yeah, that'd be like, yeah, excellent. So, thanks, you guys. Well, thanks for stopping by. Well, that was fun. Yeah. And good questions. Good questions. Always going in. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Neil said, I deal with that imposter syndrome a lot, too. We yeah. can talk about that later after this question. Yeah. Um, well, just a point here. Going on to imposter syndrome and starting small, things like that. Uh, Neil says the Beatles played for years. And that's one of those things that we like. We're reading that. But let's, let's stop. Let's slow down a second. Years. Like 700 days, at least, in a German club to audiences of almost no one before the British invasion started. So, uh, yeah. Well, everybody talks about Mark Maron, this overnight success. It's like, it's an overnight success to you. Yeah. He was at it for years before the media started picking up on it, before he was doing interviews on radio shows, before his his comedy tour was, you know, getting bigger and bigger and more people, right? Like, there is no such thing as an overnight success. It's just an overnight success to you. Everything takes time, effort, and work. Absolutely. And you said you were going to mention something about imposter syndrome. Yeah, I mean, we're dealing with this right now. So we just opened up our own studio here in South Jersey. And it's been open for a few months. And we're, we're, you know, we're having some struggles. And, and every day I'm wondering, is it me? Is, am I doing this wrong? Did I design the studio poorly? Am I advertising wrong? I know I, I could very easily just give up on that, right? I can, I, I, I deal with imposter syndrome a lot every single day in what I do, because all it takes is one person saying, ah, oh, you messed this up. And to be like, Oh, I'm the worst. I'm a failure. I can't believe what am I doing? I'm wasting my time. Blah, blah, blah. But you just gotta, you are your own worst enemy. You are usually your own worst critic. Shake it off. Tomorrow's another day. 
tomorrow's another opportunity. You'll be okay. Well, that's a great question we should throw at you is I know there, it seems to be, and this is my, my tongue is firmly in my cheek on this. I start a podcast. I think I'm going to start a podcast and get ads. I get eight episodes in and I'm not making any money. And so I decide I'm going to throw up my shingle because, well, I know how to start a podcast. I'm in all the different directories. So I launch as a podcast consultant. And what's, what's your advice to the person who wants to, who's like, oh, maybe I'll be an editor. or maybe I'll do this or that. And because I, I have a comment, but I'm going to let you answer first because you do something very smart. I'm curious to hear what I do that's smart. Oh. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, when I, when I started doing this, I mean, I had the, I had a couple of benefits. One, I had a career in radio for, I was doing it for almost 10 years before I put up my own shingle. And a lot of that was in podcasting. Now, what I learned in podcasting during my radio time, most, if not all of it didn't really apply. Like I didn't know about third party hosting. I didn't know about Libsyn and Blueberry and all these different things. Most of the time we just, we'd turn to IT and be like, we're launching another show. They'd be like, here's your show. Um, but you have to, you just have to do your best. You just have to believe what you were telling. If, if you don't know the answer, don't know the answer. Don't just make it up. Don't just lie. Don't just, you know, come up with something just to answer the question. People will respect you more if you say, I don't know. Let me go find out. Um, the other thing that I think helped us with our editing business and production that made us successful was we we are not perfect, but when we made mistakes, I remember a couple of our big mistakes. I was doing this on my own. I made a couple of big mistakes with cancel, uh, uh, big mistakes with clients. And immediately I thought, Oh great. They're going to fire me. Like, that's it. We're done. You know, these clients are gone. They're all going to tell each other. And they're all going to go out the door. But what it, what I did was I immediately owned up to it. I explained what had happened and why it went wrong. I fixed it as quickly as humanly possible. I would often give them a credit or write like, you know, Hey, you know, we'll comp this episode and we'll, we'll take it to the next one. And I remember one of my clients said, I even told him like, listen, I understand if you want to stop. He's like, no, no, you, you made it right. And that is worth more to me than if you had gotten it perfect. So what you really just have to do is know that what you are doing is, is a customer service job. And, you know, the old adage, like people will forget what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. So if you make them feel like they are important to you and that you will do anything to help them, they will keep coming back. Even if you make a mistake from time to time. And that's the key to me. My favorite is, uh, look, every company is great until they're not. And that's when I really like, for me, if, if somebody admits they did a mistake, then they go and they fix it and they explain how it's not going to happen again. You've actually, if the person doesn't leave, you have a super loyal customer. Um, what I was noticing, I can't find it. I saw it this morning on your website and I can't find it, but somewhere in here, Uh-oh. you don't, you don't mention it a lot, but it seems like most of your clients are using this as a marketing arm for their business. And to me, I always, if somebody wants to make it, as a as a editor, you have to find somebody who has a budget, and it seems like most of your. I mean, it's kind of a duh statement, but it looks like your your clients have budgets because well, if they didn't, they wouldn't be your clients. 
but I, I see so many people join in the race to the bottom where they're just like, well, I'm going to charge, you know, there's, there was a company at PodFest that was charging $48 for four episodes a month. <sighs> and they're in the Philippines. And I was like, and I had somebody use them and they're like, well, they're going to need a little training to understand what I'm doing. And I was like, okay. So he's, he's still kind of like, but I was like, man, 10 bucks and uh, a show. Yeah. So I'm like, that's like working for peanuts. So, well, and I imagine that when they say editing, yeah, what they really just mean is they're assembling your show. They're not really listening right. to it or doing any editing. I, I will admit that we are fortunate that not only are we working with brands, we're using this as a marketing arm and right. It's, it is often a loss leader for them, but my my first client who I got that was not through a direct connection, somebody who just found me randomly on LinkedIn said, you know, and at the time there was maybe about 10 or 12 people. If you Google podcast producers, 2016, 2017, no, definitely 2016. Um, you know, he said, listen, your background is in finance. You worked for the Wall Street Journal for eight years. Like, you know, you probably will understand my content better than anybody else. He wasn't accurate about that, but I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> just so you know, working at the Wall Street Journal Radio Network, I, I had no MBA business background. And even when I was applying for that job, I said to my boss, like, I don't know anything about the markets. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this job. She's like, you're a sports reporter, but instead of the sports, you're reporting the stock price. I was like, oh, okay. And it forced me to understand it and like, you know, talk to regular folks about what was going on in this complicated world. But the, the point of what I was saying is I got lucky that my background had a certain type of client gravitate to me. And those clients are people who tend to have larger budgets and, you know, more money to spend on things like marketing, advertising, podcasting, and whatnot. Often, truthfully, you know, I don't think I've ever really gotten a client from a podcast movement, a podcast or anything like that, because those are often more hobbyist and individual podcasters who couldn't afford us. But what I will also say is once we, I was also not racing to the bottom, but I underpriced myself when I first got started because I didn't want to scare people off by charging too much. But amazingly, what I found was once we started to raise our prices, we got more clients because we showed people want to see what your value is. And so if you think your value is $49 a month, they're going to say, well, how can they spend that much time on my work if they're only getting $49 a month from me? So if you don't value yourself, nobody's going to value you either. And once we start charging more, people are like, this person must be valuable if they can charge this much and, and you know spend quality time on my product. Yeah, when I started the School of Podcasting, my original price was 5 bucks a month. And I thought if I could get you know 1,000 people to give me uh, 5 bucks or 100 people even. And, and, it, and finally, and this is why you need someone to tell you the truth. And my friend Marcus said, Dave, do you know of anything you can buy on the internet for five bucks? And I went, uh, and he goes, okay, let's reframe that. Can you buy anything good on the internet for five bucks? And I went, oh, no, probably not. And he goes, yeah. And I was like, oh, so, and I mean, I've doubled my price multiple times. And every time I do, I end up with more clients and I have to be very careful how I say this. I'm using air quotes, better clients. And what I mean by that is my <laughs> my marketing strategy was you'll start a podcast, it'll be good, it will grow, 
and people will go, wow, your podcast is really good. Who taught you how to do that? And they'll say, Dave from the School of Podcasting. And that was going to be the marketing arm. Instead, um, I graduate my competition now, which is a lot of fun. Uh, they go and say, hey, who taught you how to do a podcast? I'm thinking of starting one. And they go, oh, I'll do that. But the, <laughs> the bottom line is, is I keep – when I raise my price, I, you get people who have skin in the game. They're ready to, to rock. And we all undersell ourselves immensely. I was I, – I took a class from um, – Mighty Networks. There it is. <laughs> Mighty Networks had a class on um, on building community and a couple other things, and they were talking about if you want to, you know, sell access to a community. And every person that had a question was like, "Yeah, you just need to charge more. Yeah, you just need to charge more because it's perceived value." Like, well, they can't. Like you said, they can't be any good. They're only charging me fifty bucks for the whole month, so it's it's weird because you have your own knowledge and you you don't think it's anything special because you probably hang around with other people who have the same knowledge you do. So you think, well, everybody knows this and no, everybody doesn't know that. Well, and I, I talked to so many people who are just doing this for the first time and I feel like I repeat myself all the time, right? It's like, it kind of have the same spiel that I give everybody over and over and over again, because to me it's old and it's boring, but to this person, it's the first time they are hearing it. And I should also caveat the whole thing with, Yes, I know raising my prices brings in more clients, but that also has to compete with the imposter syndrome that says, who the hell do you think you are to raise your prices? You're not worthy of blah, blah, blah. So it's, it is hard. It is entrepreneurship is difficult. I never wanted to do it, to be honest with you. I started podcast producing as a side gig while I was looking for a real job. And this just, I tended to do better at this. And I got to a point where, the hours I was spending at this part-time job, I realized I'm making $15 an hour here and I'm leaving $35 an hour on the table by not being at home working on this. So it, it is not an easy decision to be an entrepreneur. Um, yeah, it's not a lot of fun. And, Craig, yeah, and even eight years later, it's I still struggle. Yeah. Uh, Craig says it's also possible to price yourself out of the market. That is true. But yeah. most of the time, you're you're nowhere near it. And how much do I in an episode, Dave? One million dollars. <laughs> there are people that'll do that. Like I will fly to your house and set up your studio and do everything else. It's just, you know, one million dollars. So there are people that will do that and you just need one client. That's all. You just need one. But right. Do you sell do you sell ten five hundred dollar clients or one five thousand dollar client? Yeah. And it, it comes back to what problem are you solving? Because in the end, people will pay to have a problem solved. And so that's where, again, your knowledge of your software and storytelling and everything else that you're going to do if you're a podcast consultant or, or whatever consultant. If you're a coach for a life coach or whatever, you're, you're helping people solve a problem. And, you know, there are a lot of people – I paid a lot of money to solve a problem. And that problem was I went to get a job and they said, yeah, you need a degree in teaching. And I'm like, I have a degree in engineering. And they're like, yep, not the same thing. So I spent a lot of money and went back to school for two years and got a degree in teaching, which then opened the door for me getting a job. So, you know, you you pay for things that will solve your problems. So um, it's tricky. By the way, I just, I, sorry, I snorted while you were talking. Not what you said. Somebody asked, Matthew, how do you handle vacation time? Ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, for the longest time, I didn't. I worked on vacation for the most part. We have a, a large and growing team of folks, and so I am hoping by the end of this year that that team is in a good spot where they can literally just 
do the job for me. Um, but what I've been doing for the past couple of years is I email my clients two months out. Uh, usually what I was doing was over Thanksgiving weekend. I would say the Thursday through Sunday of Thanksgiving, I'm not opening up my computer. I'm not opening up emails. Like there's no expediting. Like if you contact me over those four days, I will not respond. But I gave them so much advance notice. And I said, listen, two months out, we're going to be closed these four days. If you want to do something the week before the week after, like it has to be in by this one month out, same thing, two weeks out, one week out. And so truthfully, by then I was nervous by even telling people I was taking time off. They'd be like, why would I work with Matthew? He's a a louse who's, you know, just vacationing it up. Most of them were like, good for you. You should be taking more time off. Um, So as long as you are transparent, communicate with your clients, let them know what's going on, let them know why, let them know just if you work ahead of time, we'll do our best. Um, that that's how you can handle it. I'm waiting for my roadcaster pro two to show up by the way. Yeah. I'm Although kind of, I'm, I'm less and less excited about it. I'm kind of bummed. I, I logged into my Sweetwater account and the status is waiting for it to arrive. And I was like, but I thought it was showing up the first, I thought it'd show up the first and I'd have it by whatever. And then I know there's the whole weird thing where once you get it, you have to install a new sort of operating system to it. It's not ready to go when you open it up. And I was like, so I'm I'm waiting for it. But a, a couple other things to think about with price is if you like, well, I want to make X amount of money a year. That assumes a lot of times you're like, okay, and if I work 40 hours a week and do this, and you do the math backwards, you're like, I only need to charge X amount of money uh, per hour. And I'm like, okay, that's assuming that you have enough clients to where you are booked solid every single day for 40 hours a week, which you're probably not. Uh, B, there are these things called taxes that you need to take money out for, and then there's vacation. So if you're making your price based on 52 weeks, and all of a sudden you go, well, I'd like to have at least one week. Okay, fine. That's another 40 hours that you're not working, which means you need to raise your price. So there are a couple, I don't know any off the top of my head, but I know there there are calculators online where you're like, calculate average hourly rate and you put in how many hours you want to work and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you find out you're like, wow, I can't make a living charging $9 an hour. Also, whatever you want to, whatever you calculate your hourly rate to be after you take into consideration what Dave just said and, and everything leading up to that, then charge more. Yes. The reason why, right? Let's say you've come to a conclusion. I want to make $25 an hour. Fine. Advertise at $35 an hour. The reason why is somebody comes along and they say, Matthew, I really want to work with you, but we, you know, we're a nonprofit. I think somebody's talking about nonprofits or we've got this, we've got this. We just can't afford that money. You could say, you know what? I want to work with this person. We'll do 25. And in that case, you are still making what you want to make. And you've been able to offer this person this, this consolation that is helpful to them. And then that also gives you, you know, what I wouldn't say is don't do that for people you don't want to work with. Because yeah. the people who are going to nickel and dime you and you don't want to work with them, they are going to pay the least and ask for the most. So leave yourself room to offer discounts and just to make sure that you're not annoyed that you're doing work for someone because then you're just, it's going to affect everything you do. Yeah, I know um, Jordan Harbinger, who has a gazillion downloads an episode, uh, was saying how if he has somebody that's thinking about sponsoring a show, and they want to track number of clicks and all this other stuff. Like they're they're hanging on by their fingernails for every single mention. He's like, that's not the person I want as an advertiser. He goes, I want somebody who just wants to keep their brand out there. He goes, I don't want people tracking clicks and day goes because they're 
you know, it's like you said, sometimes it's those people that are, they want the most and they're just trying and it's like, and I get, you want to get your, your money's worth, but yeah, it's, that's, uh, you got to know who your, your target uh, customer is and that'll make your life a, a whole lot easier. So, but yeah. um, learning to say no is hard too, as an entrepreneur, but it's, it's, yeah, we actually tried to fire a client recently. They were really irking us. And I wrote them back. I was like, listen, we, we can't do this. Like you are monopolizing our time. You're doing this. You're asking us for really good advice. And then you're telling us that somebody else who's involved in the process is, is countermanding our advice. Like we just don't, we don't need that frustration in our life. Yeah. And my intention was to say goodbye. And by writing that email, and I did it very professionally and delicately and nicely, but I wrote that email and the person came back and he said, I'm really sorry. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I didn't even think about it that way. We do want to work with you. And the relationship has been a thousand times better. There you go. I would say those awkward conversations are awkward while you're having them. But what happens on the other side is usually a, uh, a good thing. So, uh, Matthew, I told you it would go by quick. It's, uh, it's time to start saying goodbye. So, uh, I know I've been no. saying, I know, I know I've been saying <laughs> the podcastconsultant.com, but is that the best place for people to go find out about you? The podcastconsultant.com is the best place for me, but also please check out towncast.com if you do hyper local content or towncaststudios.com if you're in South Jersey. We, I know we've talked about this before. We want to make a big push into promoting hyper local content creators. So towncast is our brand for that. If you want to check that out too, please. Awesome. Thanks to everyone in the chat room. Thanks to Mark over at podcastbranding.co. Thanks to the Dog Podcast Network and Based on a True Story podcast. And uh, Jim will be back next week. And uh, once again, we're here every Saturday answering your questions for free. So again, askthepodcastcoach.com is the website. And uh, we will see you next week with another episode. Take care, everybody. (laughs) 